welcome to the latest edition of Sounding Board with Nick and Andrew Elliott. Evening. Hello. So this is the uh, the new podcast based around free speech, free markets, and free trade. And while we're on free trade, um, have you seen uh, the tweets from Trump today or earlier? Uh, uh, no, I haven't. No, as you know, I'm not on the Twitter. Okay, so he has challenged the EU to drop all barriers, subsidies, and tariffs because he wants absolutely completely free trade with them. Interesting. So, Interesting. So okay. I, th- I think I know we've talked about how uh, his perhaps his, his trade policies aren't brilliant uh, because of his protectionism, but I think it it certainly sounds like his end goal is sound. And that he wants free trade with everybody. Yeah, that's interesting. Free, free markets. That's interesting. And so this is before there's an EU delegation going or something, isn't there? Uh, there is, and this yeah. and he specifically tweeted. He said that they're, they're coming here tomorrow. Yes. I've got an idea. Why don't we try this out? Yeah. He and en- he ended it with like a but they won't or something like that. Like <laughs> a, a taunt at the end. A taunt at the end, which is obviously very him. But you see, again, that that uh, says to me that this is again is about playing the game and. Uh, it, why, why anyone is, is surprised um, at Donald Trump playing a game um, when, you know, that's exactly what, you know, what he's written about, what he's done his entire career. Uh, he's not a politician. Um, but I, I remember when he was um, voted in and uh, um, I remember having conversations with you and, uh, and with others. You know, one, of, one of these, you know, political events from the last couple of years that surprised most people, um, likewise with the, um, the referendum for leaving the EU. And I, you know, I remember talking in that kind of, you know, fevered days afterwards where you, you, you're talking about what it means. And um, I actually thought it would be um, good for trade with the UK um, because he'd said before how you know, he wants to trade with the UK and then no more of this, you know, back of the queue um, nonsense um, that, you know, planted from by David Cameron to be said by um, Obama before the um, before the referendum campaign. Well, what, what queue? There is no queue. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Um, and uh, but but also that when he talked about protectionism, I suppose this is, this has only been a hope until this particular moment when you told me that that um, even though he um, is showing these protectionist tendencies, albeit he's he's very much linking them to the protectionism of other countries. So he's saying Canada, you you know two hundred seventy five percent tariff on dairy products, right here, here you go, have some have some tariffs on steel, and actually directly linking one with the other. Uh, what, what you and I know is that 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 if, if that's all you do, if you just keep raising your tariffs uh, one after the other, then it can only be bad for both countries. It's it's shooting yourself in the foot. But what I hoped, because it's Donald Trump, not because it's any other person, any other world leader, because it's Donald Trump, he's playing a game. And so to be able to do that, and then say, actually, do you know what? Do you know what? I want free trade, and I want it to be. You know, all these phrases have come out recently just because of the EU negotiations, haven't they? Which is, you know, frictionless and barrier-free and all of that. Um, I think that's fantastic news. Well, so yeah, so he was, he was very specific. He said, no, you know, no subsidies, no barriers, no tariffs. Um, completely fair trade and, and, and free market. That's exactly what he wanted. Uh, and he's saying they won't, but they won't do it. But he won't, yeah, he's saying they, they won't. won't. And I think he's right. I, I think he is. And I think it's interesting that he put subsidies in there as well. Um, because I think that that's one of the EU's Achilles heels, I think. Um, it, it, they, they do have tariff-free trade with, uh, uh, with, with certain countries under um, uh, trade agreements, um, but, um, but they can't help themselves 
with subsidising anything that no, I would say anything that moves. Anything that doesn't move yeah. <laughs> until it moves, and then you tax it. So yes, well, hopefully with, with Trump being for free trade, it will start to become a bit more popular. Um, but one of the things I don't, I still don't really understand is why it's not more popular already. Because yes. the evidence is there. You only have to look at, so currently if you look at Hong Kong, um, yeah. with, I believe, zero tariffs. It's got a few taxes that apply to goods Both. created... Inside and outside, externally. Yes. Uh, yeah, and they are low. They are they still are. low. Yeah, yeah, but there, but there are there are no tariffs. And think of where that's come since the sixties when it was poor, and now it's yes. yeah, very highly prosperous. Um, think of Germany after the war, where they yeah, yeah stripped down all their regulation. Yeah, Singapore, um, Singapore, uh, China. Um, yeah, you know, relatively recent. Okay, it's it's still pretty left wing and authoritarian, but compared to where where it was, the Swiss quite like. Free trade, don't they as well? Not too sure about the Swiss. Oh, really? Not too sure about this. But even 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 looking back in history, if you, if you look at the Industrial Revolution, um, where people were just, in a, you know, they were just basically given more freedom, which is what we're talking about here. Yeah. Economies thrive um, when there when there's a lack of regulation and, and and rules. Economies thrive. It's happened all throughout history. Um, so why why these things are um, aren't more popular? Well, and uh, yeah, even if. Even if you, know, you don't want to go the whole hog of you know stripping away regulation, um, and there are you know we, we can come up with and we will come up with all the arguments of why you should do that, um, because no one else is making those arguments. It seems take something as simple as tariffs. What we're saying here is not not goods that aren't allowed in the country. This is stuff that is already um, you know potentially well, presume, being traded, it's, or it's it's already up to all your standards and regulations to even get to that to stage. even get to that stage. And I suppose the point is, is that you, some stuff won't come in because the tariff is so high that it just doesn't make any sense to sell it. But what, yeah, what we're talking about here is stuff that is being sold into our um, into our country at the standards that we require. And the only thing that is um, uh, getting in the way is the tariff. Now, why why doesn't a government just try dropping the tariffs? Why doesn't our government try doing that? Even if it's just for a limited period of time, right, we are going to try dropping. And again, you wouldn't even have to do it across the board. You could just do it in a particular sector. You could sector, do it in you? particular sectors. You could do it with particular types of products. And and you see what happens. Now, I suppose the point is, potentially you do have to do it in a, a fairly significant way in order to see um, the return quicker. Uh, and so for us, that would be, and just drop tariffs on everything um, and, and then see what happens. But... If, if it didn't work, if it didn't result in cheaper goods and services for the people of this country and therefore they have more money to spend on the economy and therefore it boosts the economy and then there's more tax goes into the coffers and all of that. If it doesn't do that, stick some tariffs back on again. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to do it for a long time. And, you know, what, what you, you and I advocate is, well, you can already look at, at history and you can look at countries that have done it and done it well. So you shouldn't have to. But what I don't get is why why a government doesn't even try it in some small way, um, because all you're talking about is actually removing the bureaucracy. I mean, I suppose the whole point is you're also removing the actual money that comes in from the tariffs. But if there are certain things that are essentially tariffed out of trade, then you were never getting that money anyway. <laughs> so you know you weren't going to get that money, and so you might as well have the people of this country having cheaper food and cheaper produce and 
Let's see if that works. Well, let's, so let's just break this down as well. So what, it, what exactly is a tariff? It's who, who pays for them? It's the, it's the consumers in, you know, if it's, yes. if it's a UK tariff, it's, it's UK consumers. Yes. It's UK taxpayers. It's, yeah, it's, effectively, the it's effectively a tax on the consumer. Um, you know, these are the people who, who pay them. It's not a, you know, okay, other countries may be suffering because they're not selling, but ultimately British consumers are suffering as well. So you're yeah. taxing your citizens. Um, well, and especially if it's a, um, the, you know, the, the, the tariff all around the EU, um, of which we are still a member, is, you know, it's a protectionist tariff. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a protectionist wall around it. So that actually... Um, the, the products that are bought by the people of this country from inside the EU as a whole, um, they're, they're not actually paying the, the, this, this tax on them. The price is just higher in the first place and potentially of a lower quality because it allows those EU companies to make things at a higher cost um, because the competition has been pushed out. Um, and so... It's a it's a really indirect one that one, but the only people making money are the uh, are the, the companies in the EU, um, and they're the only ones benefiting from it. Um, the uh, the consumer doesn't benefit at all. Well, no, not at all because uh, you know, and, and they could often, particularly with stuff like food. Yes. Um, you know, they could get food from places in Africa and, and all over the world a lot cheaper, but they're being forced to to you know to pay for heavily subsidised farms and what have you in the EU. Oh, yes. Um, who are nowhere near as inefficient as, as their, you know, their, their neighbours. So anyway, I think that is some good news from Trump in that he does actually want free trade as, a, as an end goal. Uh, even, if we, even if we disagree with the way he's, he's going about things, I think him wanting to have free trade with the UK, with the EU, but basically the rest of the world is a good thing. I think so too. And him pointing out the double standard and challenging the EU can, uh, can only be a good thing. So... Uh, We'll see what happens in the coming weeks. Okay, we'll see you in a moment. They can't actually see us, it's a podcast. Okay, um, well, we'll talk to them in a few minutes. Good idea. Hello again, so we're now in your kitchen, Nick, just making a cup of tea. Um, Yep. Now, you wrote a blog post earlier this week, uh, which is on soundingboard.com, if... Our listeners want to give it a look. Please um, do, please do. But this is something that we've talked about privately since about, I wanted to say 2010, maybe 2011. I think we gave George Osborne a chance. Um, but you wrote a blog post on why is it now rare for Tories to advocate low taxes? Because they basically seem to just be Gordon Brown were right. Um, yes. You know, tax and spend budgets. Um, Despite the so-called austerity and uh, the, you know reducing the deficit, there's still a ridiculous amount of spending. Exactly. Um, and again, certain headline um, headline taxes have uh, have gone down, um, such as corporation tax, um, which has meant a larger um, tax take from business, um, and also and the personal tax allowance has gone up, which is good for personal tax allowance for poor people. Yeah, and also the. Um, uh, the top rate of tax went down by uh, from what was it down from fifty to forty five? Yeah, exactly. Um, which had been raised by um, by Labour, uh, and again, more money came in as a, as a result. Well, that's so that's happened. All you know, you, you only have to look at when the Tories got in in seventy nine when they had a 
inherited a ridiculous uh, tax rate. It was like 85 or 90 percent or something ridiculous. Yes. And I think uh, when they, they dropped it down to 60 and then 40 percent over a number of years, and the, the you know the, the, the tax intake from the top one percent went from being about 13 percent to 26 or 27 percent that it is now. Yeah. So you know you can look in recent history and then and work out that you know you can lower taxes and actually get more revenue. Yes. Not that, that should be the only reason for you to lower taxes. But uh, no, absolutely. Um, but it, it, it boosts the economy and it actually does bring in more money in the first place. Um, and so the reason I wrote this uh, particular uh, blog post was um, because uh, Gavin Williamson, of all people, um, I, he's, he's our defence secretary, we've got no idea why. <laughs> um, he's called Private Pike by um, members of his own party. Um, he does look a bit like a young shaven lad who happens to be in cabinet, um, and he said some daft things. Um, but he apparently, you know, the, the sources close to and all that, um, said in a cabinet meeting, um, well, "We should lower taxes because more money comes in." And he actually said that in a cabinet meeting. Oh, so he's got up in my estimation. Well, exactly. And so, um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really read it at all, um, but that. That's that's proper. Um, that, that's being a proper Tory, in in my view. Someone advocating low taxes. And I think you, Thatcher, yes. I think you mentioned Sajid Javid. Who yeah, so behind the, closed doors is a, a small government. It, it, you know, ex exactly, tax. exactly. And so um, I, I mentioned Sajid Javid because he's kind of often touted as another uh, true blue Tory um, rather than a, a modern conservative. Um, and uh, Liz Truss is the other one that I've been watching, um, not least because I think she handles herself very well in interviews on, on TV and radio, um, but has also been one of the people that uh, is out there launching these, um, uh, these think tanks based on, uh, based on freedom. And again, some of the stuff she's said as, um, uh, what's she at the moment? She's in the Treasury, isn't she? She's the... Um, She's either just the, looking at your blank she's, she's either the Exchequer Secretary or she's the um, what's the other one if you're not the Chancellor? Anyway, uh, she works there and she's working with the money, um, so she should know. Well, I can I can look it up and then we can edit this out. Yeah, that's exactly how this works. And what we do is we talk about it and I pad for time. And what you should have done is given me the secret signal on Chief Secretary to the Treasury, I believe she, is. So Liz Truss is the Chief Secretary to the Treasury, and. Uh, yeah, so she's dealing with the money stuff, um, but yeah, she, she's she's giving proper free market, low tax, small state um, arguments, which is obviously. Well, let's just hope she has a bit more influence because nobody seems to be listening at the moment. It's just tax, yeah. tax, tax, spend, spend, spend all the time. Well, likewise, you know, if you've got if you've got Gavin Williamson, if you've got Sajid Jam, you've got Liz Truss. That I mean, that is only three of them, mm. um, but as long as someone is articulating um, that argument, then then that's something. Uh, the point of my blog post was that it just seems to be very rare now and it seems that the Conservative Party as, as we know it currently, uh, as you say, despite our personal hopes that in 2010 uh, it might be a much more, much more small state, low tax, low regulation um, party, um, seems to be up there with, with the other big state parties. Um, uh, and you know, I suppose our question is, is that, um, is that just a function of being a political party? Uh, and you know the you know, the, the, the old you know all power corrupts kind of adage that you know once you've got the leaves of power you don't want to let go of them. Um, uh, you know that, 
that's an issue. And, uh, and, it, and it is, I suppose, often said about the Conservative Party that they're, they're more concerned with staying in power than they are about um, you know, advocating a particular ideology. I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think that is, that, that is exactly what's, what's happening, is that the Conservatives, they want to stay in power. They don't want to upset the, who they think is the middle ground that have come across from Labour, who they think want this kind of, you know, this, this, this big tax, big spend uh, way of running things, and they, 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 they're, just, they're just clinging on. Even though I don't think that's the right idea. I think if they wanted to spend more, I think lowering taxes would actually be the way of doing it. Yeah. Because they get, the they get more tax taken. I don't think they should, but if they wanted to do that, that would be the way forward. Yeah, absolutely. Right, well, here's your, here's your cup of tea. Thank you very let's, much. Uh, let's go back in the other room. So we're back in your lounge again um, with another cup of tea. Uh, although I think because we've been chatting, it's nearly it's nearly finished. Oh well, yeah, we did the usual thing of uh, chatting without recording. Without recording, I know, I know. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to kind of take your temperature with the current state of the department for exiting the EU. Because oh blimey, where do we want to start? So I I I remember being obviously quite pleased uh, when you know June the twenty fourth, you know, leave of one. You know, lots of celebrations about you know up against the whole of the government, the, basically the whole of the state, um, but leave still one. Yeah. Um, but I still remember thinking, well, we're not actually going to leave, though, are we? You know, Article Fifty will never get triggered. They'll find something because the EU has such a history of either cancelling these things or rerunning them or fudging them. Keep, keep asking the same question until, until you get the answer. Right that you answer. Want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I remember thinking, well, this is all well and good, but I don't think we're going to leave anyway. Um, and that's your general distrust of just you know politics uh, in general. Yes, and, yeah, yeah, but partic- particularly the because they have got a history of, of yeah. overturning or rerunning referendums. Yep. Um, so I remember thinking, yeah, this is this is good, but I don't think it'll actually happen. And then slowly, I got a little bit more confidence. Um, you know, when when uh, Davis was kind of brought in charge of the you know the, the, the yes, so I suppose the EU, and, and he was he was. Much the, the, the point to say is that we, you know, neither of us were particular Theresa May supporters. No, but we were willing to give her a chance based on what she said and who she appointed and to what positions. Yes. So she put in charge um, the the Foreign Office uh, and two new departments, very clearly related to leaving the EU. Department for International Trade. Well, you don't need one of those if you're going to stay in the EU, uh, and a department for exiting the EU. And if I remember rightly, the the mandate was very clear that well, specifically if that department was to conduct the negotiation. Yes, that's exactly what it was for. <coughs> and so she put the deal. Brexiteers in charge of those departments. And she wasn't an avid Remainer. I mean, she was a Remainer, but she wasn't out campaigning the way David Cameron and George Osborne was. She was kind of quite behind the scenes, she, she which quite, I thought was quite I thought was quite canny. She was, uh, I, and, and yeah, clearly she was playing politics very well because uh, you know. Which is the only time she really has. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. Because she's she's just been wobbling ever since. I mean, yeah, yeah. She, she's only leader because everybody else pulled out, and you know the the, the election last year was just a complete catastrophe. You know, yeah. the Tories had a massive lead. Um, you know, the polls are saying about fifty. percent I know the polls haven't been amazing in the last few years, but the polls are saying roughly about fifty percent of the vote was going to Theresa May. Um, and then in the space of about six weeks, she threw it away to about 
was it 25 percent or something, something it went down to yeah, you know it, it rose a little bit again for the election but it still wasn't enough to get a majority um and then and then since then she's just gone from from bad to worse and then the, the latest thing is this change in the machinery of government where the department for exiting the eu is not actually in charge of exiting the eu at all yeah. and it appears hasn't been for some time because that white paper that was brought to everyone's attention at the, the checkers summit had already been produced and this was before you know this this change in the machinery of government had ever taken place so what was you know what was ollie robbins and these people what business did they have actually even working on that particularly when people like david davis and stuart jackson uh, had no idea that it was going on they yeah. still thought that they were you know effectively in control of the, the negotiation were producing their own white paper i think though um and <laughs> it was george osborne that tweeted um news what news um at, at this particular announcement um that uh, that theresa may was in charge of the negotiation and uh, as you say the some stuff being shuffled around, some responsibility being shuffled around between the cabinet office and uh, the department next to the EU. Um, David Davis clearly hasn't been the one leading, um, leading the substance of these negotiations because he's never got his way. Uh, and all we've done is just give and give and give where a negotiation is about making sure that both sides give. Uh, this has been completely one-sided. Um, the EU have given up nothing. Uh, and we've given up everything. And the, and the issue is that the, 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 now we've found out that people who are doing the negotiation or yes. in charge of the negotiation don't want to leave anyway. No. So of course they're not going to give anything. They, well, they want to stay in the EU. So if they can get yeah. something that's as close to being in the EU as possible, they'll go for it. So they'll give up everything they want. And I know we've been meandering a little bit, but this is my, my point was that I'm now back to where I was. Yes, which uh, is that uh, you uh, don't uh, believe it's going to happen or no. you believe it's going to be a, an, an in-name only So yeah, so I'll, I'll, qualify, I'll qualify this uh, in that we may have some kind of fudge where technically we have a slightly different relationship with the EU, Yes, but it will be effectively being inside well, the EU. It, They'll be in some kind of customs union, some kind of single market. Yeah, your, your, your fear is it will be the, um, the worst of remain and the worst of leave. Yes, basically, is yes. it? Yes. Um, yeah, none of the good bits of any of it. We don't get no. a say, which is at least something that we had when we were in the EU. I mean, our um, say never meant anything. Uh, no, but yeah, but at least we, we, we had part of a say. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then, yeah, none of the benefits have actually have actually. It's, it's, it's the vassal state that, that Jacob Rees-Mogg has warned about again and again and again. Yeah. Well, and and now um, Boris Johnson. Um, I thought his um, his speech that he gave in the House of Commons. Uh, was uh, the 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 best speech he's ever given. So he's he's been very very good since he's since he's resigned. Is he, do you think, think he's finally getting to that point where he's so. ready? I hope so. Um, I, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, you know we've we've talked before about um, uh, the, you can pin the blame for <laughs> um, for for the way Brexit is being handled on on so many individual people. Well, David Cameron and Cameron, yes, of yeah, exactly. Theresa May. These are all these are all people who have been part of a of a, of a tremendous fudge. But let's go back to Gove. Okay, what what did he really do? He he withdrew his support for Boris. He got nowhere himself. But let's be very clear that Boris never ever declared. Boris gave a speech. I remember watching it live. And well, everybody, everyone expected, everybody expected him. Yes, everyone expected him. He was he was there. He had convened this to announce, 
And then he did the, but now is not the time thing at the end of, again, of a, of a classic, you know, triumphalist Boris globalist speech. Um, he could have run. I don't think, I actually, I think people overestimate the damage that Gove was supposed to have done to him. You don't think, you don't think that Gove would have split the Brexit vote? No, I don't think so. I think Gove, um, I think Gove didn't have really any support at all. Um, to be leader, because I think I think, I think think now no one wants Gove to be leader. No, but I think at the time people thought that Gove would perhaps be able to rein Boris in. If it was like a joint ticket, you get mad. I agree. Mad as a box of frogs, Boris. I, I, and I, Gove I, just reining him in with all the all the I agree crazy stuff. that they were the dream ticket. But you're telling me that Boris wasn't going to beat Theresa May. That that to me seems the oddest thing here. Um, now, I, I think I, he would have beat Theresa May. I'm not sure whether it would be interesting to see whether he would have beaten Gove or of course he would. led some. I, honest, and, and again, I suppose this is the whole point: is is, is the what ifs and woulda, shoulda, couldas, and all of that. But um, I, I, I don't believe that um, that that you know, that was as damaging as people as people make out. I think I think Boris bottled it. I think it potentially just expose something that was already there, something that Gove had already detected in some way, which was that he wasn't ready. And and again, I suppose at, at the time, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly happy that um, Theresa May um, was um, elected, as, if you want to call it an election, uh, elected leader. Um, but I wasn't particularly convinced at the time that Boris was the right person. Other than I wanted a Brexiteer, I did want a Brexiteer. Um, so who who would you who would you have had then? Because I, I I I oh I, I, oh I would have had Gove, really? Oh totally, I would have totally had Gove. I th- I thought Boris was the best of a bad bunch. I I thought I think Gove um, would be a better prime minister, but it doesn't mean that I think that Gove is electable. It doesn't mean that I think that Gove would be the popular choice either in the Conservative Party or in the public. He's a purely personal. I think decision he would have been quite being a very in the good minister. And even the BBC have done ra- a radio series on how Gove is a fantastic Secretary of State of something, no matter what it, what it returns his hand to. I think he would have been a good Prime Minister and he was a Brexiteer. Um, but as I say, I think I, that's completely different from saying he would, have, he would be able to win an election or, or that the Conservative Party would elect him. Um, I, I know lots of people who love Boris. I know lefties who love Boris. I, everyone loves Boris. And or, or they or they hate him. He's, yes, he's, he's he's a bit marmite. I met I met a teacher the other day who loved Boris, who said oh, I love Boris. He's a really? young teacher, exactly, exactly. Um, and it just kind of underscored again how he 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 does capture the imagination in a completely different way. And and he's other and he's a winner. So and he's a winner. Let, let's he won forget London. that he won. Yeah, he won London a he, couple of times, which is no mean feat for yeah. anyone remotely right wing. But going back to what I wanted to say about when Theresa May was um, was, was running, that the issue was that the that the Leavers didn't unite behind one person, and so yes, in that respect, there was you know, blame should be apportioned to Gove, but likewise to Andrea Leadsom and. Did, didn't Liam Fox also? I mean, Liam Fox runs every five minutes for the leadership. He's he's expected to run, I think. Isn't he? Um, <laughs> but I don't he, think he'll ever get anywhere. He's, but you see my point. But you see my point, and and the same thing is happening right now. What they should be doing 
And the reason I'm talking about yeah, this has gone into the, the specific politics of the Tory party now, but the point is that if the Labour Party were in power, I would be arguing that Gisela Stewart should be um, you know, Prime Minister or be the one leading the um, negotiations or Kate Hoey. I want to I want a Brexiteer, I want to leave. But again, doing so, it. so so why why aren't Labour doing this? Why aren't Labour saying, hang on a second, you know, the majority of the country voted for this. Most of our you know, our seats voted for Brexit. Why don't we get a few Brexiteers in and say, look, this is what we are going to do. That, you know, I don't care what you're doing, this is how we would handle it. This is what we are aiming for. They have no idea. Every time a yeah. Labour MP comes on the TV, they say something different. They change their tune every five minutes. Yeah, they, they really have um, stolen the art of sitting on the fence, haven't they, from, from the Lib Dems. You can always rely on the Lib Dems a good kind of 10 years ago, um, well, more than that probably, for proper, proper fence-sitting. Well, on the one hand and on the other hand, um, but now all you need to do is, as you say, interview two um, two members of the Labour front bench on two consecutive days to get two completely opposing policy views on something. And so, yeah, they're, I mean, they're nowhere on this. I mean, I count Labour out of, of any part of the discussion on this because they don't have a coherent policy. Um, the, um, the, you know, the daughter of the um, shadow cabinet room might as well be a revolving door with the 100 people. Oh, it's been 100, 100 people that have, that have left or been fired from the shadow I, okay, cabinet. Okay, I don't think it's 100 people. I think it's something like I think it's over a hundred exits, but I think some people have left more than more once. than once. <laughs> so they've, they've they've come and then they've gone and they've come and they've gone again. Okay, so uh, which is even more ridiculous. Uh, well, exactly, exactly. But no, Labour, Labour are now on this, and, and Labour aren't playing. They aren't, they aren't even playing the politics well on this. But that's because Labour aren't a, a meaningful political party anymore either. Um, but with the current crop of um, Brexiteers, most of which have now left the government. Uh, those that were in there, I, I say the same thing as I said back then. Why are they not uniting around one person? And I mean, the clear person now is Boris. But if if they only got their act together, and yet again, you kind of wonder how how on earth did the Leave campaign win at all? And I suppose the point was there was there were more than uh, there was more than one campaign organisation, and they weren't camp- so they weren't campaigning for government. They were campaigning for something they it, could all agree on. It, exactly. Whereas being in government, and it was cross party. Yes, it's more than just this. Yeah, uh, and and there were all sorts of all sorts of people campaigning for it, but but they stopped. They they stopped campaigning at that point, and actually the moment of the referendum is pretty much the time that the the, the, the Remainers started campaigning properly. Is when they realised, hang on a minute, um, we can do an EU, we can overturn this if we if we start campaigning properly now. Um, and sowing disinformation and you know, what else. Um, but if right now the Brexiteers actually rallied behind one person and that person being you know, electorally favourable, and so again, the only person, you know, despite you, know, you and I you know, were, were loving the idea of a, of a re-smog being Prime Minister, it is never going to happen. And we need someone who can win elections. Boris can win elections. Boris is popular. Boris, I think, is more popular now since um, since he quit. Um, he obviously now has uh, the experience of being a foreign secretary and you know, you know, one of the, one of the top jobs of government and one um, of the great offices of one state. One of the so-called great offices of state. Um, and all they all need to do is they all need to resign from one of government positions or you know the ones that obviously have already 
rally behind him and say, no, this is the guy and we're going to force the leadership election because this is the guy, because why on earth would we not have a Leave supporter, the person leading the Leave campaign, negotiating our exit? Okay, so just to take you back a few minutes, going back to when Gove decided to pull his support yes. for Boris Johnson. Yeah, and, and that was the point where all again, I'm saying it's the same point, they should all have got together around one person. So who do you think, so at that point, do you think Boris Johnson sort of gone to David Davis and said, right, let's do this on a joint ticket. I'll postpone, I'll postpone my, my, you know, my briefing for a, a couple of hours. Do you want to, do you want to do this with me? Because I think that would have been a fantastic thing to do, yes. Because not all about Gove. Gove was, you know, Gove was there, but it doesn't mean, yeah, as, as you say, uh, he, he could have, Boris could have I can't really think of anybody else who, who would have been a big enough name to, you know, to share yeah. the ticket. Yeah. Uh, but but again, the point is they all they were all thinking about themselves and they weren't thinking about uh, making sure they delivered the referendum result. And um, I, I I I think that's where they completely missed uh, missed a trick. Um, and now they're all kicking themselves. I think. Um, and they 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 both could have been in power, could have been ready to hand over power to each other as they go along. If that you know that's the way it also, goes. Deliver a successful Brexit and anyone associated with that. Especially if you were on the correct side of it, it was surely a shoe in that they would all basically get a turn if you want to. Well, so this, put it this that leads way. me to, to my next point conveniently. Uh, in that going back to now, do you think if, if all, the, all the, the Tory leavers uh, they, you know, they get behind Boris, yeah. try and challenge, you know, which, which is a bit easier in the Conservative Party than in the Labour Party, yes. so yeah. try, try and have a, a leadership challenge. Do you think that will be the point if they manage to get rid of May to bring Rhys Mogg into one of the great offices of state? Do you think he can go straight there? I know, I know people don't think he can go straight to Prime Minister, which is a, a fair enough comment, but do you think bring him into the Cabinet, bring him into, you know, and then, and then perhaps set him up for the leadership in a, in a few years' time? He's still a relatively young man. Um, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's plausible. Um, I, 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 do you I think he's liked like enough? It? For people to do that, um, uh, I think um, I think he's I think he is uh, he, he's he's not ready yet. As you say, he's not ready yet in any way, shape, or form but to I be running for the leader uh, leader position. And I, I think I he think would need some cabinet office positions under his belt first. I think I think he could. I think it's I don't think he wants to yet. But you know, really, you think he'd do a worse job than Theresa May? No, I'm not saying that. I'm talking pure politics. I think that the public aren't. I don't think the public would um, uh, would vote him in at all, and I think um, that I will come down on the side of the of the Conservative Party's um, vision to um, to try and stay in government, which is to actually have someone that's electable as leader. Uh, and I think at the moment, much as much as you and I like him, um, I don't think that um, Jacob Rees-Mogg um, would. Um, would particularly you know, ignite the passions of the nation to, to vote for him. Having said that, I again, it depends on... He is very popular with, well, it, with, well, with youngsters. I, I, he's very, very I, popular. Yeah, and again, I'm, I'm saying that, and then I'm, I'm saying that without looking at the other side. And, you know, him versus um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, um, just on a purely intellectual level, would just wipe the floor with him in any, any argument or conversation. Um, so I suppose I would love to see that. I... I mean, he's, I saying, he has so always resisted. He has always resisted the idea of anything other than being an effective backbencher. Uh, his 
he has become actually very, very powerful. Um, doing exactly what he's doing now. So part of me says, why would he want to? Why would he want the shackles of government when he can do and say whatever he likes and, and, and pull the strings from where he currently is? He is currently holding. He, Jacob Rees-Mogg, is the current official opposition, in my mind. Okay, He's playing a much better part than the Labour Party is at holding this government I to will, their own manifesto. I will agree with that, but I still don't think he has that much power okay so you think it's i think he it could would perhaps be... do more as a, you know if, if 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 boris got in and was prime minister i think jacob Rees-Mogg could probably do more for the brexit campaign by being within the cabinet than outside of it i think i mean let's be clear if you're making a brexit cabinet how could you not include include him and the point is that i i um i i don't see why you wouldn't just fill it with brexiteers um, I, I mean, there, there probably aren't enough to fill the cabinet, and so you would end up having some Jeremy Hunts um, in there as well. But and Sajid Javid, so he he was you know he, he's I, oh, I the reluctant Remainer. I think yeah, I think behind the scenes he's probably a Brexiter. Um, and, and again, this is just classic, you know. To to me, he's a he's again much as I much as I like some of the things that he's purported to have said and done, um, he's a bit of a Chukaramuna to me. Um, in just this person that's touted as a future leader and you look at him and you go nah <laughs> because he does stupid things and, and actually doesn't play politics very well and so he chose the wrong side that was not playing politics very well um, he went on a joint ticket with Stephen Crabb for the running of the leadership remember him? yes yeah, you're yes, shaking your yes. head I, 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 exactly and so I don't rate Sajid Javid's um, ability to play politics particularly well no, particularly well no and so, He's no again, Peter Mandelson, is he? No, exactly. And so, again, have him in your cabinet, um, but that does, doesn't mean you want, want him in, in anything particularly political. I mean, let's be clear, he's better than someone like Chris Grayling, but mm. who's just an, a buffoon. Anyway, so... Um, you, are, you, are you doing your fantasy cabinet? Is that basically what well, we're no, doing see, here? And, and I'm just I'm, I'm thinking, to, well, thinking to myself while we're talking here that I'm sounding like a Tory, and I'm, I'm not, because... Jacob Rees-Mogg is the only one who I actually like out of the whole lot of them. I mean, I've, I've got a soft spot for Boris, and I quite like some of the things that David Davis says um, because he's, you know, he's quite classically liberal and, and can be quite libertarian on some topics. Yes, yes. But that really is it. I mean, yeah. it's so we're doing we're no. doing the fancy cabinet, but it really is the best of a bad bunch because a they're absolutely. all awful. And that, yeah, let's, let's be clear. I think I think yeah, I think we we're going to have conversations like this about the Labour Party and the other parties. And I'm, and I'm, I'm quite we're happy not... to have this fantasy shadow cabinet with the Labour Party as well because yeah, you know I don't I don't really like them either. Um, yeah, and, and we can you know we can come up with you know people who are perhaps you know slightly less inept than others. Um, yeah, absolutely. So okay, um, so let's just let's just round this off quickly. Well, well okay, we, so again, oh, you got we, another point. Well, to no, make? so we were meandering, and my other point. So this this was all. Because I'm, you know, I'm, I don't think we're going to leave the EU. Yes. And the, okay. the first point was Brexit it, in name only. Brexit in name only. Yeah. The second point was, I think we probably will leave it eventually, but only because it will fall apart probably in the next ten years. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I I must admit I I think that we will have to change significantly. I, I I think that that Brexit is absolutely the catalyst for that event. 
Um, I think um, I think you could argue that without it, um, the EU would, would, would limp along for a lot longer. And that's, I think, we need to be careful to distinguish between the EU um, and, uh, uh, and the Eurozone uh, with that. Um, because I think that the the European single currency, currency is is more likely to fall apart. Oh, specifically absolutely. than the so EU. So if they if they just went if they just went back to a free trade zone, for example, um, yes, you know they, they could do that. That would be quite easy, and I think everybody would would like that. Yep. You know, there's nothing wrong with free trade yep. within, get, within get the EU countries. Get get rid of the trees budget. Get rid of all the, the tariffs around the outside, so you can still have free trade. Within the EU, yeah. you just don't have to have this huge tariff barrier as well. Oh, well um, but again, they'll never do it. In the words of in the words of Trump, but they won't do it. Um, that's 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 the point. I, but it, talking about whether which is why I think it will just it will just it will just well deteriorate it's, it's managed decline. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose um, my my concern, and this kind of goes with our governments in general, is that. Um, with the um, with the bailout of the banks um, in two thousand and seven two thousand and eight, well we we took we took all of that that, that bad stuff and um, and took it from the from from the banking level to the to a sovereign level it became sovereign debt, but again you're shaking your head, but there's nowhere else to go, and so we are. Quite, I, don't, I don't want to be don't want to be a doommonger, but there is a very high chance of having another um, uh, uh, significant negative financial event well, based on the fact that none of the actual problems have been solved in um, in the system, and there's no one to bail out the countries. We're, you're at that you're at that sovereign level already. Well, so I'll, I'll, I'll take this one step further, and this is going to sound a bit doommongery as well. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if currencies started to either collapse or get to the point where they have to change, or you know, go back to the gold standard, or you know, yes. countries God, change their currency. Yeah. Um, there's a very, very good book called Paper Money Collapse by an author called Detlev Schlichter, who is, uh, an, I believe, he's an economist who specialises in in currencies and money. I think you should write a short blog post spelling his name for okay, our, okay. Uh, I can, our we listeners. can we can we can link to it. We can link to it on the website. There's a very 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 good book, and he's studied currencies throughout history, and everything is backed up uh, with examples. And so currently, what we have is we have a you know a fiat currency, which is you know not backed by anything, not backed by gold. It's just effectively paper money, so a fiat currency, combined with fractional reserve banking. Um, so you know, where banks give money and then they loan it out, you know, ten times because they know they're not going to have to be asked for it all at once. Yep. Um, so those two combined have never worked together. Um, and whenever, whenever countries have fiat currencies, they either collapse completely or they stop them before they do collapse. And if you read this book, you yeah, you'll probably be convinced as well that it can only it's, it's only a matter of time before yes. this starts happening. Because it just can't go. It can't go on forever. Yeah, they're just printing money and printing money and printing money, and that's the reason that we have. That's the reason that we have these recessions. You know, the, 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 yes. it's the money printing that causes the the, the booms and the busts. You know, the, again, and, and he can provide you with. If you read the book, there are lots of examples about where countries haven't done that and they've had periods of sustained growth without these kind of booms and busts. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. It can only go so far. Um, you're talking about bailing countries out. I think I think currencies are going. So 
Venezuela has didn't hit a million percent inflation or something. Yeah, earlier on this, 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 this Zimbabwe week. normally we've done exactly. some ridiculous percentages as well. So, you know, we're not quite there yet, but we're heading we're heading that way. Yeah. Quantitative easing, money printing, all this kind of thing. It will get to a certain point, and yeah, we'll have to change tack. And so, just to end on a positive note. Um, we are therefore better outside of any supranational organisation yes, that absolutely. is trying to control absolutely. this stuff um, because we need to uh, we need to not be uh, well. What analogy should we use? We need not to be shackled um, to these other countries when they're on the way down. Well, and that's another reason why we didn't do so badly in the financial crisis because we were outside of the euro. Yes. Um, so we have our own currency. We could price ourselves back into the market. Make ourselves, you know, uh, yeah, make our exports more competitive, more competitive, and you know, we, we could cushion the blow. Yeah. Um, so we're absolutely in the right place, and if we do happen to leave the EU eventually, uh, we'll be better place to, you know, to, to to ride any kind of storm in the future. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, on that note, I think we'll we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for listening to Sounding Board with Nick and Andrew Elliott, and we will see you next time. Listen to it. Oh, listen to it.